Excellent. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 10 and the first 10 verses. John chapter 10 and the first 10 verses, if you'd like to find your Bibles. Probably just above chapter 10, there is a title, The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. Um, lots, of the Bi- lots of Bibles, obviously we have chapter and verses, and lots of the Bibles put little headings above the sort of coming passage. Actually, I try not to read those headings because they influence how you read the next few verses. And often, they're sort of quite inaccurate headings, really. Um, So that's just that. I'm going to pray. I'm also going to embarrass my wife, um, (coughs) who very quickly, just to say, this is just for my safety more than anyone else's, Les, if you don't feel I'm communicating what you think I'm trying to communicate, just tell me (laughs) and put me right. So, Father, we just thank you for your love for us, your acceptance of us. And we pray now, Lord Jesus, that you will just take your word, you'd fill us with faith and love, and then you'd bring us back into worship. So I have a piece of paper with four words written on it. I just need those. So... In a minute, I'm going to read John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. But I want, first of all, there is a point to this, to put it into context, because the context of these verses is all important, and so often they are just read, and it's like, oh, that's nice, that's great. The context is this. There was a guy sitting down, and he's begging, and he's blind. And the disciples turn to Jesus and say, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? Because in those days, the general accepted thing was if you were ill, you'd sinned. So he was born blind, so either he sinned in the womb or his parents did. And Jesus says, well, actually, neither of them, but this situation is to the glory of God. And then Jesus performed a miracle which could not be performed in this room. Okay? This miracle could not be performed in this room. And the reason it could not be performed in this room is we have Rita. Because Rita is a cleaner par excellence. And what Jesus did for this miracle was to spit on the ground, into the mud, mix up the mud, which is why we can't perform it in this room, because we've got Rita, put it on the, guy, the mud and the spittle on the guy's eyes. Wouldn't you just love it? Just watching it, just how much spit do you need to make enough mud to put on someone's eyes? You've never thought of that, have you? <clears throat> puts on the guy and then says to the guy and wash he doesn't say what's going to happen when he washes he just says go and wash so the guy goes and washes and lo and behold he can see now everyone knows because he's quite reasonably old 
in his 20s, you know. <laughs> Maybe. Everyone knows he's been begging for quite a few years. They know he's there. And then suddenly he can see. And uh, the Pharisees, who are the sort of religious leaders in Jerusalem, they're the people that make sure that you're doing everything right. They see that he can now see. And they say to him, who, how can you see? And he says, oh, a man called Jesus. He spat on the ground, made some mud, put it on the eyes, I went and washed, now I can see. Now at this point, you'd expect some celebration and some amazement and some wonder that the blind could see. But instead they said this. He spat on the ground and made some mud. That's working. And today is the Sabbath and we don't work on the Sabbath. This man cannot be very godly. He's working on the Sabbath. And he says, well, I don't know about that. All I know is I can see. So they say, oh, we don't believe you. Get your mum and dad. So mum and dad come in and uh, they say to mum and dad, is this your son? Was he born blind? Yes, yes. Why can he now see? Don't know. Anyway, he's old enough, let him speak for himself. Because they were worried about the Pharisees. So the Pharisees then drag him back again. And uh, they say, so who, who made you see? Says this man, Jesus. And they say, Jesus can't be a good person. He's worked on the Sabbath. He spat on the ground, made some mud, and worked. And this guy gets thrown out of the synagogue. Thrown out of the religious life of Israel. Because he can now see. And he gets thrown out because he will not say Jesus is not godly. He will, he will not say, Jesus is sinful because he's worked on the Sabbath. And so he gets thrown out. Jesus then finds the man. And when he found him, he says, this is chapter 9, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, who is he? And Jesus says, me. Well, they're probably not like that. <laughs> And then there's some Pharisees with him. And they say, hang on a minute. You're, you're an ungodly person. You don't know anything about God because you've worked on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, you're spiritually blind. You can't see. You don't understand the purposes of God. You don't understand the nature of God. You are just totally wrapped up in rules and regulations. And the Pharisees say to him, are we blind then? And Jesus says to them at the end of chapter 9, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim that you see, your guilt remains. Then he goes straight into the story. It says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, 
and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And this is important. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus tells this story, and just to help us, for those who don't know, um, in the time of Jesus, the shepherds sort of took their sheep out. Um, <coughs> sheep can recognise 50 other sheep faces. I tried to work, I've read the scientific sort of evidence of how they proved this, and I still didn't quite understand it. But sheep can recognise 50 other sheep. And uh, they can recognise one or two human faces. So a shepherd, I mean, I've seen this in countries that we visited. Shepherds have their little flock around them and the sheep know each other and the sheep know them and they all walk together. And it's quite interesting watching a shepherd sort of walk down the street or across the road and the sheep just follow him because they know that's it. So but at night time, they would bring their sheep into a pen and it might be several flocks in there, and then the shepherd would go off to sleep, and the watchman would look after them. So that's the sort of very brief background to this. Anyway, Jesus tells this story of a shepherd, a sheep, a thief, and a gate. Now the Pharisees hear the story, and they're all like, hmm? Well, actually, they're probably more like this. I wonder if I'm the only one that doesn't understand a word of this. So Jesus, fortunately for us, because they didn't understand, he is then going to explain the story to them. And he's going to talk about the gate and the shepherd. Now we are only this morning going to talk about the gate. And I think one of the sad things about this story is that so often we jump to the shepherd and we miss the gate. So Jesus said this, this is verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I am the gate into my fold. I am the way. I am the gate. And when he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, in the context of the healing of the blind man, he is saying this. You Pharisees, with all your determination to obey the law, and impose the law on other people are robbing the people of God of life. You are robbing them 
of life. Your determination that people should live by this set of rules is robbing them of life. I am the gate and I have come to give life. And Jesus is saying the only way that we can know him is by walking through his gate. And that gate is his crucifixion. And Paul talks elsewhere <coughs> about how we are crucified with Christ. And we are risen with him. So we walk through the gate of crucifixion. And the reason we have to walk through that gate of crucifixion is because none of us are good enough for God. None of us are able to keep the whole law. None of us are able to say to God, hey God, <coughs> I come from Hastings on the south coast, therefore I am acceptable. My family name is this, therefore I am acceptable. I once gave mammy to charity, therefore I am acceptable. No, none of us. All our righteousness is filthy rags. And so we can't do anything. And the only way through is through this gate of crucifixion. And Jesus says this, I am the gate. Come through this gate and I will give you life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness. <coughs> and the and the Greek around the word fullness is life in overabundance. Life with too much life in it. Life that has more than enough of everything for life. I have come, Jesus says, that we may have life and more than life. And this is so important for us, particularly as we gather back. Judy said on Wednesday, we had a great week of prayer, by the way. Judy said on Wednesday, one of the funny things about coming to church recently is she's looked around the room and thought, well, I know a third of the people here, which I thought was quite good in terms of knowing their names. <coughs> but there's two thirds I don't know. So she's got a whole load of people to get to know. As we gather back, we've got to remember one another's names. We've got, to, we've got to learn again that part of Open Door that is a community together. That wherever we are, at, at work, at home, in the shops, watching the telly, we are Open Door together, the community of God's people. And God has given us the life in abundance. My thinking is most of us struggle to feel it. We might be able to say the words, but we struggle to feel the life in abundance. And very often it's because we're forgetting the gate that we came in.
most of us at some point probably feel I'm not sure whether I should go be with God's people today because I'm not sure I feel good enough. Well, in all the places you go in all the world, this is the one place none of us are good enough to be in. None of us. That's the whole point of Jesus being the gate, is that none of us are good enough. But we come through the gate and something, dare I say it, magic happens. This side of the gate, we have no chance. The very best we've done is rubbish. We walk through the gate and suddenly there's angels putting crowns on our heads, putting us in white clothes, giving us supernatural gifts. There's the creator of heaven and earth giving us a big hug and saying, welcome into the family. You're now a son, you're now a daughter, you're now a king, you're now a priest because you've walked through the gate, which is Jesus. As we gather back together, we need that truth to sink deeper and deeper into our hearts. The great contradiction, I am not good enough, I have been made good enough. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, not because of a whole load of rule keeping, but because Jesus has made me good enough once and for all. <coughs> and when Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it in its fullness, in its overabundance, it's a life that starts first and foremost on the inside. It's a life that starts, and it starts very at its very first stage is that recognition of I am not good enough. I need a saviour. I need a gate into heaven. And that is Jesus. And it's about walking in life saying, I'm not good enough but I've been made good enough. Now living in that life that knows I can come to the creator of heaven and earth and he has promised to listen to me. He has promised to change the world because I ask him certain things. He has promised that his love will overflow me. He has promised that he will embrace me. He has given me crown. Even at my lowest, God is still with me. Even in the most difficult circumstances, God is there with me. When I'm facing challenge, I know how long I have to face it on my own because I have a God who has given me the Holy Spirit to empower me 
to be able to, to enable me to love when I wouldn't have been able to love, enabled me to have joy when I couldn't have had joy, enables me to have peace when I couldn't have had peace, enables me to know provision when there was no way on earth that, hum, human, that humanly speaking that I could have been provided for. And all that comes because Jesus is the gate. We love to think that we can do the Christian life. And often we feel we fail because we think we're not doing it well enough. If we just turn it on its head and recognise, hey, we can't do it well enough. But Jesus has made it well enough. When I'm anxious, Jesus can help me through the anxiety. He's not going to just lift the anxiety. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. I always find it um, intriguing when people become Christians, because we all live, yeah, we all live different lives. And the way that sometimes people just, God, God just changes them completely. You know, they may have been completely sleeping around with all sorts of people, they may have been a thief, they may have been a real gossip, and they just completely change. They're no longer sleeping around, no longer a gossip, no longer thieving. And then they'll say something like, you know, I've completely changed all that, but I just can't stop doing this. I just can't stop looking at people and hating them. I've never hated them now, I just can't stop it now. And it's a real battle. It's like God has delivered them completely over here, but over here is the battle to grow up. And for many of us, there are things that God has completely delivered us from from the past, but there's still the battle of walking with him, changed little by little by little by little. But when we trip up, when we fall, when we fail, we go back to outside the gate, as it were, and say, God, I've failed again. I'm walking through the gate. I'm dying again because I know you have made me a daughter and a son of God. The religious Pharisees excluded this guy because Jesus healed him by working on the Sabbath. Jesus' answer to the Pharisees is very simply this. Rules and regulations don't get you into the kingdom. It is only my death, my resurrection, my ascension into heaven, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the new birth that makes us acceptable to God. And one of the things that that does, more than anything else, 
as it sinks deeper into us, is to release incredible freedom within us. We no longer need to impress one another. We no longer need to think, am I doing this right or wrong? No need to worry what we wear to church. No need to worry how we talk. We need only to worry about being through the gate and being a child of God and letting the freedom and the celebration and the praise rise up within us as we run to Jesus, which is a clue loose.